Our Gospel reading is from Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32. Listen for the Gospel of God. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And by what authority did my microphone fall off? Is this still on? Okay, thanks. I'm going to put it in my pocket. Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it from human origin? And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, fountain of every blessing, open us to your life-giving word and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that living water may flow through our hearts a spring of hope for a thirsty world, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are wrestling this morning with the idea of authority. Where does it come from? Who has it? Why? To sort of give us an angle into that, I need to tell you about Joshua Harris. Does that name sound familiar to anyone, or is it just me? Okay, people who grew up in the evangelical church uh, uh, in the 80s and 90s, mostly 90s, would have heard of Joshua Harris. Uh, He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody heard of this? Absolutely messed a lot of people up. Um, I read it. I was talking to someone last night who grew up in the evangelical church in the 90s like I did. Um, I didn't ask if he had read it. I just assumed I was right. He had, um, he wrote about all kinds of things, uh, things that a lot of them actually wasn't really original to him, uh, but he'd come from a movement called purity culture, uh, and it was a movement that his book really moved forward in big ways. He he was on Focus on the Family, um, (laughs) when my dad heard him, he was like, nah, nah, my dad did not buy this. Um, 
the, the ideas were things like uh, dating is bad because when you date someone, you're giving them a piece of your heart that you can never get back and, and you won't have that for the person that you eventually marry. So you should actually be doing something called courtship. You should be doing this. It, it gave a roadmap to nervous young people about how you get to a married relationship. And it was a it was a roadmap that really was supposed to simplify things, but actually it ended up complicating things. He was 23 when he wrote the book. He didn't really know a whole lot about marriage or relationships at the time. Uh, but uh, my wife Kristen and I, we both read the book. Uh, we both got screwed up in our own ways by reading the book. And a whole bunch of other people read it too. Um, also, the year he published the book, he became a pastoral intern. Uh, the book, by the way, worked well for him. He got married a year after it came out. Well, it kind of worked well for him. Um, three years later, he wrote another book about how well it worked out and about getting married. And in 2004, at the ripe age of 30, he became the pastor of a 3,000-member megachurch. Over the years, lots of teens and young adults read his book, tried the stuff, and had to eventually figure out that this 23-year-old was a blind leader of the blind uh, who led a lot of people astray. Um, that his ideas didn't work. Years passed. More and more people shared stories about having gotten broken hearts or breaking somebody else's heart. Um, or staying single longer than they wanted to, a lot because of Joshua Harris's book. I promise this is time to talk about authority in a minute. In 2015, he went to seminary. You may be thinking, wait, he became a pastor in 2004 and went to seminary 11 years later? Yes, that's right. They weren't Presbyterian. You could become a pastor just by um, being mentored by a megachurch pastor. That was, that was just how that worked. 2015, he went to seminary. In 2016, he started rethinking his book and apologizing to people who'd been hurt by it. In 2018, he contacted the publisher and said, please don't publish this anymore. In 2019, he and his wife separated after 21 years. That's what I Kissed Dating Goodbye was really supposed to prevent. You can't prevent that kind of thing. It's just a thing that happens. But it was supposed to have prevented that. And a lot of us who'd read the book felt, quite frankly, really vindicated by that. Um, and a few days after that, he posted on Instagram, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many of us in the community who'd followed his advice we're curious to see where this all might lead. Because when I saw, by all the measurements I have for defining a Christian, I'm not a Christian, it didn't make me the least bit anxious. I actually got really excited because I thought, by the measurements you had for being a Christian, I'm probably not one either. So I wanted to know, like, what are these measurements? Tell us more about this process. How did you get here? Uh, what, what got you here? Where is here, anyway, for you? 
He had gone through a process that uh, people started calling a few years after I started doing it. They started calling it deconstruction, uh, faith deconstruction. People who grew up in a faith tradition and started going, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. How does that work? And just having experiences and things that didn't make any sense out of all of this. In 2021, Joshua Harris created an online e-course called Reframe Your Story that included a deconstruction starter pack. We who had been deconstructing before it was cool were very surprised. We were like, you literally just got here and you're going to tell people how to get through the wilderness that you literally just arrived in. This is spectacular and by no means a good idea. Like, I'd been doing deconstruction for probably 10 years by the time he saw that. I'd seen a lot and I'd learned a lot and grown a lot and I'd written about it a lot. So when he came out with this course to help with deconstruction, a lot of us who were in the space were kind of mad. Um, I'd written a blog post called uh, The Maps Were Wrong. It was... It was a little bit about Joshua Harris and a little about the people who were claiming authority. It was about how we had, we had give, been given all these roadmaps for how to live our lives biblically, like I kissed dating goodbye, goodbye, and we realized that none of it made sense for the reality that we were living in. And a lot of people who hadn't spent any time in that space were coming in and going, oh, deconstruction, that's a popular thing. We should talk about this. And it's like, no, y'all were the ones who were wrong in the first place. You don't have authority in this space. Authority, that's what we're talking about. Um, did you know Charles Schultz did a comic book about churches before he started drawing Peanuts? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, I forget what it was called, but there was, this, there was a great one where this young man is talking, and he, I forget who he's talking to. He's like, you know, I used to consider myself an authority on the book of Revelation. Then I met someone who had read it. <laughs> We're wrestling this morning with the idea of authority. Where does it come from? Who has it? Why? In the world of Christian deconstruction, people like Rachel Held Evans had managed to gain that kind of authority without asking for it. She got the authority not by telling people that she had the right doctrine or telling people, well, I believed in this thing and then I did it and it worked out. Look how magical my life is. She came with this, with the, she came with Look, I did all the things that you were supposed to do, and everything went sideways. None of this is working. And a whole bunch of us came into that space and were like, none of this is working. Rachel Held Evans didn't get um, that authority by telling people she had the right doctrine, quoting enough Bible verses or creeds or doctrinal statements or translating from Greek or Hebrew. She got that authority by asking honest questions and talking about her own life experience and her own questions and concerns and problems she'd seen with the Christian faith. She gained that authority. A whole bunch of 
other people in that space, were able to speak authoritatively about doubt and discomfort with elements of the faith that was handed down to them. They gained credibility by being honest. For so many of us who grew up being told what we had to believe, being told, I believed this and I lived it and great things happened to me, for us, hearing those things, hearing someone tell us the truth, the truth that we had already come to know but were never allowed to say, it was so liberating. The things that the people, that uh, the pastors and parents told us were true that didn't work and weren't working, and along came these deconstruction people. They weren't called deconstruction at the time. They were saying, that's right, that stuff doesn't work. The emperor doesn't have any clothes on. They didn't have answers, but they gave themselves and us permission to talk about the elephant in the room about hell and why we were told that men were supposed to be in charge and about what happens when people who aren't named Joshua Harris try to follow his roadmap for relationships. They had authenticity, and that authenticity gave them authority. They told their stories, not stories just about faith, but about doubt. You can't have faith without doubt. Not about faithfulness, but about screwing up and being beloved anyway. I think maybe Brennan Manning, a lapsed Catholic priest and alcoholic, who wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel, which I have in my library. <laughs> he was probably up to his elbows in this when Rachel Held Evans and I were both in diapers, talking about the messy and uncomfortable truths of his life and his alcoholism as it met up with the inevitable love of God. Authenticity granted authority. So when Joshua Harris walked into that room and announced, I've just deconstructed and I'm not a Christian by any standards I have for being a Christian, who wants to buy a course for $275 about how you can do it too? People came for him. That was probably the most commented Instagram post that he'd ever put up. To his credit, he offered it for free to anyone who had been harmed by his book. But those of us who had been in the space for a long time were stunned. We wanted to hear the story, but he'd come out with a way to turn the story into a money-making machine. As though he was somehow an authority on deconstruction and reflaming your life. We saw right through it. Now, to his credit, it did not take him long. I think it was a day or two before he realized it was a really bad idea and he pulled the whole thing. People are worried about the next generation, Gen Z, or it's not even Gen Z anymore, right? Uh, there's this idea that if you want to attract the young people, you have to do all of these flashy things. You need to know all of the slang, you know. I think really the kids these days just want to be treated with respect. They want adults with authenticity who will say things that are true, who are willing to step up and fight climate change and other things they see as threats to the future. You don't have to know all the slang. I've been told that older people talking like the youths is cringe anyway. Um, 
they just want to get, uh, the way to get the win is authenticity and listening and learning and justice. That's what my generation wanted anyway. I think that's what the next one wants. I don't know a whole lot about the generations before ours, but I expect that truth-telling is appreciated in every generation. It's disrespectful to lie to people. If you can tell the truth in a world that is committed to lies, and by truth, I don't mean like truths like, you know, God hates gay people or whatever randomly selected, made-up doctrine based on out-of-context verses and not on the love of God, it's become um, popular to try to foist on the world in the name of speaking truth to political correctness. If you can tell truth to a world committed to half-truths, if you can say, Christians don't have to be happy all the time, or I'm a Christian, but I'm gay, and I don't know what that means. If you can say, I can't prove Christianity, but to quote again Rachel Hall Evans, this is the story I'm willing to be wrong about. That's powerful. There's a line from uh, the movie Walk the Line, which is absolutely a product of its time when it came out in 2005. And I've shared this in a session meeting before because it's so powerful. Uh, the, Johnny Cash's producer interrupts him in the performance and he asks, if you was hit by a truck and you was out lying out there in the gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, you telling me that's the song you'd sing? That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it? Or would you sing something different? Something real? Something you felt? Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people really want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. I think Jesus was able to speak to the people because it was clear that his experience of God was genuine and he had a truth they hadn't heard before but that resonated with them and he spoke for truth and justice. Maybe he was saying things about God that they'd always felt were true but nobody had ever said out loud before or he put things in a way that made them reconsider their reality because they never thought about it like that before. Maybe that's why he told stories. Like the story in today's reading of two sons who one said he wouldn't do what he was told and then did it, and the other said he would do it and then didn't do it. Which son did what his father asked? The first. It's what we do that gives us authority. They asked Jesus, where does he get his authority to do the things that he's doing. And he asks, well, where did John get his authority, knowing the answer already? Then he tells a story that inverts that causal chain between authority and doing. The causal chain, they're saying, you can't do stuff without authority. And Jesus' response is that authority is revealed in doing the things that he's doing. He's flipped it. You don't do it because you have authority. You gain the authority by doing it. The authority is revealed in the doing, not the doing from the authority. 
you know, when I started blogging about faith, I didn't have a Master of Divinity. I just had my computer and a WordPress site and a whole bunch of irritating questions that a lot of other people had too. I wrote about them and I joined a blogging collective and Kristen and I were not on the same page when we got married uh, spiritually and she started reading the stuff that was showing up in my Facebook feed because nobody in her Facebook feed was asking the questions that kept showing up in mine. It's not that she thought it was right, it's that it was much more interesting. The thing about Moses that Eloise read, the thing about Moses is he didn't get his authority from believing the right things. He didn't get his authority from having all of his doctrinal boxes checked. He got his authority from doing things, from, in his case, doing what he believed God told him to do. It got results. If you were living in that day and you didn't think Moses really had God's authority, you can believe that, but it's hard to argue with water coming out of the rock. Moses strikes the rock, the rock, water comes out, and people's thirst is quenched. I spent way more time than I should have this past week trying to figure out why he struck the rock. What was it supposed to do? What was the meaning? I didn't find anything. But I think really it was that that action. It was, this is what God said to do. He did it, and water came out. I don't know. I'll have to keep digging. Maybe when we come back to this story in three years, we'll, I'll have a better answer for you. A couple months ago, Joshua Harris put out a statement on I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He apologized for the harm that it had done to people. He said the things that he'd written are not in the Bible, and he's sincerely sorry. He's still working on stuff. He's still doing public speaking and writing and helping people with brand management. But I think maybe he's growing. So where does this leave us? I think this leaves us with a calling to listen to the stories of others and to tell our own stories. That is, to tell the truth even when it isn't pretty, even when it doesn't fit in all of the doctrinal checkboxes in a way that's respectful of others who have different experiences. Not just to do lip service, but to do the work of justice as much as we can, as much as we're called to. And when we come with our full authentic selves, or even if we try, as Bono said, Come to God wearing sunglasses. Don't you can't Bono said you can't come to God wearing sunglasses. You can't be anonymous to God. Even if we try to do that, Jesus welcomes us to his table.